Welcome to the Training Ground Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Barry. Today I'm sitting down with Matt Emmerman, who is a physical therapist and has been a soccer referee since 2000. Matt has a Bachelor of Science degree in kinesiology from the University of Maryland. He went on from there to get his doctorate in physical therapy from Mercer University. And recently, Matt became a board-certified orthopedic specialist. In this episode, I get an idea from Matt about how he trains the patient first, his experience as a soccer referee, and we talk about some things athletes specifically soccer players and referees can be doing differently in their training enjoy matt i appreciate you coming on today from the training ground podcast thank you thank you for having me absolutely um you have an interesting background i know we crossed paths before um as soccer referees so yeah can we have one game together you're you're at the u17 development academy game that's right that's right Um, training the whole time yeah right it was in a torrential downpour yeah that was one of our unlucky games i do remember that um and you were there just for the one game me me and um, i forget the other ref we were there for both games as ars and just kind of went and done (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I think i got lucky that day to be honest You, you got to be the you have to be the center so yeah, so you're a physical therapist, but you're also a soccer referee, uh, which is yeah. why I wanted to have you on. That's a unique background. Um, can you tell me initially what was your interest with getting into physical therapy, and then when did you start with soccer refereeing? So soccer refereeing, I started um, maybe late middle school. We had a, this program called like Junior Referees. I was refereeing like fifth and sixth graders, and then I became certified when I was in ninth grade, which is to date myself, that was in the year 2000. So close to 20 years now, I think. Um, and physical therapy, I've always been, you know, I've always enjoyed sports, being active. Um, and then when I got to college, um, I wanted to continue that. So I, just, I worked at the University of Maryland gym, just like re-racking weights, spotting people, and started, started studying exercise science. Um, never wanted to do physical therapy school because I didn't really like school, to be honest, mm-hmm. especially like the harder science classes. So I became a teacher for about six months and I realized, well, I, I can't teach kids. So then it's like, okay, I really like personal training. I like health, I like fitness. I like imparting knowledge, which I learned when you were in an elementary, when you're an elementary school teacher, that's like the 20th thing you do after do like uh, buying supplies, setting up the room, managing a classroom, all that sort of stuff. So I decided like, I, I just can't do that before. I was not very good at those things. Mm-hmm. So I just decided to bite the bullet, went to physical therapy school. Now I'm, you know, I can say I'm doing what I like, which is I'm combining, you know, my life, my love for fitness and health with teaching people how to leave that, lead that you know, healthy lifestyle. That's great. Yeah, that seems to be one of the things uh, for a lot of people now with physical therapy is to try and teach a sense of independence as well once they do leave your facility. Um, do you have any tips for that? For And that could be the bigger picture for personal training too. How can you teach clients to, to lead an uh, independent lifestyle? So that, that's a very good question. And that's um, if I, I can tell you what I think works best for me right now. Mm-hmm. If I, you know, like if I knew the exact answer to that question, like I'd be you would have figured it out. <laughs> I'd be living in a you know in a mansion somewhere. Mm-hmm. But uh, I can tell you the mistake. Well, what I used to think was um, I used to you know be really big into powerlifting. So I was like, man, deadlift because I was imparting my own values onto patients. Mm-hmm. So I was like, man, don't you? And I'm de- uh, like, I'd be telling this to like sixty year old 
personal training clients, like, don't you want to be able to deadlift twice your body weight? Isn't that so cool? And of course, I had some clients that were like, oh, you know, that bought into it. But I can, and I did this with a, you know, regrettably some um, patients as well. But I can tell you, I've definitely turned off more than my fair share of clients for like, no, this guy's crazy. So I've learned number one thing is not to impart your values onto the patient client, but really you have to find out what that what matters to that person. Whether it's um, I want to be able to garden, I want to be able to play with my grandkids. You know, you really have to find out what matters to that person, and then develop that exercise program to fit their goals. That's so great they're, advice. They're doing that. That's what really, for me, uh, helps improve that self-efficacy. And to get more technical, there's now this stuff called motivational interviewing where you get people to really tell you their story. But number one thing is find out what matters to that person, not what matters to you. Awesome. I uh, appreciate that. That's great advice. I have heard of motivational interviewing a little bit. Um, I was taking a graduate class in nutrition this summer and they went over it a little bit. Um, I know there's a lot more to it, but oh, yeah. basically you, we need to find out the why behind, you know, why people want to want to get better. So you've been refereeing um, 20 years almost, right? Or, it's, yeah, now that I think about it, yeah, it's, it's yeah. crazy, but yeah, since high school. Um, I, I've been in it myself uh, about five years, six years now, and mm-hmm. I often see a lot of referees that make mistakes in their training, or we see them at tournaments and they're middle-aged or they're, or they're overweight and they're working yeah. 10 games. You know, um, I think it's especially important now given most uh, referees aren't doing games, um, they soon will get back into them. But what are some mistakes referees are making um, in their own training? And, you know, what can they do better um, to avoid injuries for tournament weekends, for example? I'd say the number one mistake is just not training. No off season. Uh, that that's just like um, really, it's um, I like the concept of the low hanging fruit. So before getting into you know like finding the you know the five best exercises for be being a soccer player, or soccer referee, just you know if you're not exercising, just start doing something very very simple. Most people obviously are you know fairly you know they have an office job, they're fairly sedentary. So even if they do something like two, three times a week, whether it's a brisk walk, some calisthenics, whatever it is they they can do and get started, that's say would be that I would say would be the biggest thing. Just to start being active. Um, after that, I would say uh, neglecting strength training. Um, I think the the stronger the body is, the more it can just the more punishment it can take. Mm-hmm. So two prong, you know, be active, stay active. And then do um, some strength training, not too crazy, even if you get the minimum of uh, twice a week, you know, getting all the major muscle groups twice a week. And that, that can sometimes only, that sometimes only has to be like six major movements, mm-hmm. vertical, horizontal, push and pull, some sort of squat, some sort of hinge, and maybe something in the frontal plane, side steps. And you, you have a comprehensive program that's good for a lot of people. Yeah, I think the misconception for a lot of people that I have worked with in the past has been that strength training um, needs to be, you know, four or five days a week. It needs to be in the gym for an hour, crushing yourself. Um, and I think they don't really consider themselves as athletes. It's it's almost a pastime, and then they're getting hurt. But yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, yeah, I mean, we're not exactly, you know, when we're repping these, you know, higher level games, you know, we're hustling, so you got to, like, treat yourself like an athlete and, you know, stay stay on top of it. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, for maybe the 
reg games and stuff. We, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be, like you said, it doesn't have to be intense four or five times a week of heavy lifting. But the biggest thing I see is just, you know, do something. If you're just repping, you know, if, if you're repping like eight games over a weekend, but you, you do nothing Monday through Friday and you've done nothing for the last four months. Great point. And you know how seasons, they always start off to, with the um, soccer players the themselves. Um, the most important on the for, for trouble. As far as soccer players, so the, the most common injuries I've typically seen are, um, you, you know, usually ankles, um, then knees, then hips. Outside of concussions, concussions are getting bigger and bigger now, but um, I, that's not an area I specialize in. Mm -hmm. um biggest thing with soccer players also is just uh some sort of training outside of soccer even yeah. like a randomized clinical trial where they um had a, a bunch of schools and one of them followed like a basic uh very basic strength training program or uh, not even a strength training it was like body weight movements that include like single leg stance mm -hmm. air squats lunges a few sprints and they followed this program like two to three times a week, and they showed that the groups that followed it had a significant reduction in ACL injuries and other injuries of the lower extremities. So the biggest thing is is doing some sort of work to maintain uh, the strength and coordinate the legs outside of just playing soccer. Right. It, it doesn't have to be you know super complicated, but just basics and you know hit, hitting different planes of movement. Yeah, I think that's an important consideration because in my experience, we're seeing a lot of people that are playing year-round now. So they're playing their mm -hmm. fall season with their high school and they're playing spring and summer with their club. And there's really no off season to develop, you know, strength capacity as such. Yeah, or even, uh, or also if you do the same sport year round, you're you're gonna eventually run into, you're gonna overdo something, you know. So a lot of the, there's a movement now for a lot of the best athletes. They say how they would play different sports, uh, especially when they're young, to develop different skills so they can then transfer into their main sport but definitely one of the drawbacks of playing the same sport year-round is you're more likely to overuse something now mm -hmm. of course the reason they're doing this is because they you know you know they're competing for that scholarship or they think they're the next Pele or something but really uh, doing the same sport year-round is not generally not the best thing for the younger athlete Curious to get your thoughts on plyometric training. I know it's not something we spoke about previously, um, but in the past, I worked with a Division One women's soccer team, and they would do something similar to the 11 plus warm up, where they would focus on, you know, plyos to prevent ACL tears. Um, do you have any first-hand experience with plyos or return to play for athletes with um, ACL surgeries and repairs? So, uh, I mean, definitely as far as our return to play after an, an ACL surgery. Being able to uh, jump and land properly is is absolutely crucial. There is some evidence that shows when the on a landing when the knee goes in that can uh, when we have a valgus collapse that can possibly lead to increased chance of ACL tear. Mm -hmm. so there is an absolute time and place to include plyometric training. Also, as far as the you know that FIFA study, what was cool about is uh, it was you know a fairly simple program, and as far the one clinical trial that I've read on it is I'm pretty sure the the control group, I think, you know, did nothing. So it's not even so much that, you know, the few, the exercises that study used were these magical ones. It, it could just mean, mean that, like, doing almost anything, you know, because they, they were doing, like, they did a single leg stance, the Nordic hamstring curl, different variations of it, lunges. It wasn't like nothing, you know, it was no Olympic lifting, nothing crazy. Just do something. Yeah, um, it, it's starting to ring a bell for me now. Um, believe it's the the initial one that came out for um, FIFA was the FIFA 11, and then they came up with an updated version, uh, FIFA 11 Plus. I have wrote about it in the past uh, a little bit. 
uh, I know it is heavily researched and backed um, in yeah. science. Um, but like you said, a lot of the movements are actually body weight and they're almost movements that can be done as a warm-up. I think that's yeah. the, the intended it, it, purpose. It was just basically a warm-up done before either training sessions or games, uh, like two to three times a week. Super simple. Now, it was not really there limitations to it. I believe it was only done on uh, male athletes and uh, it was also only done on college players. So, you know, you have to be a little bit careful about extrapolating that mm-hmm. to other populations, but it's still, you know, a fairly good study. The reality is most teams are, are training. Uh, the elite teams here, especially club level, they're training at least two or three times a week. So really there's no excuse to not get it done um, if, if you have the knowledge that's out there. Just to follow up from there, um, right now I work at a Division Two university and we're looking at pushing all of our sports to spring um, with the potential being soccer is going to have two to three games per week for a seven-week period with uh, you know, a seven to 14 day preseason period. Do you see any concerns in that? Or, you know, as a physical therapist, what can we do better? I mean, as a physical therapist, I say, you know, go for it. You're going to keep me busy. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, um, the athletes are young. So that that's a, that's a positive there. You know, they, they can take more, but, you know, but generally uh, it's always good to, to spread out the load. Uh, I think you mentioned you know, two, three games a season or two, three games a week. Per week. We're looking and, at yeah. and, uh, I know like D1 plays like, you know, maybe 23, 25 games a year. How, how many games do you guys play in a season? Uh, 17, I believe, 17 to 19. 19. Yeah, so that, you know, um, the more you can spread out the games and the longer ramp up you, you have, obviously the more ideal it is. It is. But, you know, the positive thing is, you know, you, your athletes are generally younger and have less injury histories than, you know, people in their mid to late 20s or 30s. But... That, you know that that that's just the way it is. It's not an ideal situation, but you know that that's life. Yeah, I, I think it'll it'll definitely be an adjustment period. Um, I yeah. think coaches, especially um, on the sports side, are are going to have to become more knowledgeable um, about training load and just figuring out intensity and volume of, of training of practice every day so matt just to finish up um i know you've been in physical therapy for a while and that might not be your typical audience um so i was wondering if you could provide um some insights for you know books you listen to or people you follow in the physical therapy or strength conditioning world um so i'm a big fan of um, adam meekins he's a physical therapist out in the uk um he has a, a saying um, you can't go strong. You can't go wrong getting strong. Now uh, he primarily, you know, he treats a lot of people um, who are in pain. But I believe he was also uh, a, one of the, a therapist for uh, one of the soccer clubs there for a bit. But but don't call me on that. Um, so Adam Meekins, um, Jared Hall, uh, Greg Lehman, and I, and I can send send some links for the notes for these people's uh, website. But all these therapists, they they emphasize a lot of self-efficacy and um, an active approach physical therapy and rehab so and, and that's kind of what, what i do as well said emphasize a lot of uh, ways to kind of get yourself better not being so reliant on more passive techniques just to go off of that a little bit what, what's your typical approach to a session um obviously it depends on the injury or the surgery the, the age yeah. of your client but what are some takeaways for other people for formatting a session so uh the first thing is uh you want to make the patient feel comfortable you want to establish um what we call it a therapeutic alliance. You, you want to uh, establish trust with the patient. You want to uh, make sure that they understand that you're there to help them. 
after that, um, you got to find out their goals. Uh, so kind of we talked about before, you, you don't want to impose your own goals on that patient. Let's say if somebody just had a knee replacement and they just want to be, you know, be able to go up and down the stairs and walk, you know, one mile max, you, you're going to lose them as soon as you start, you know, you should be like, hey, let's try these box jumps. You know, you want to mm-hmm. find out what their goals are and, and help reach those goals. And after that, I emphasize a lot of uh, active care. Um, I try to teach the patient how to uh, be independent, basically make them um, not relying on me. So um, that's a a lot of um, education and exercise based on what their goals are. That's that's great to know. Um, I know you're talking specifically about physical therapy, but I think it does have a big carryover into personal training or with the coach that's going to work with um, a high school or a middle school soccer player, for example. I, I feel like this may make, you know, some physical therapists upset, but I feel like the, the main difference between, you know, uh, physical therapists and personal trainers, obviously, you know, we can, um, we, we deal with uh, pathology and more people in pain and injuries, but ultimately we're still working with people. So there is a, a lot of parallels between what we do now. You know, we, we also are able to do some things that personal trainers are just, just not in their scope of practice. Um, but in the end, we're, we're working with people one-on-one, doing a lot of exercise-based interventions. Mm-hmm. So you really have to be able to work with a person. You, you know, that's Absolutely. kind of the crux of what we do. Treat the person first, right? Yeah. Great point. Um, just to finish up on a personal note, um, what are your plans for refereeing this year with soccer? Do you see yourself getting out on the field anytime soon? Well, tomorrow I'm supposed to be refereeing um, some adult rec games, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm itching to go back. I'm hoping, um, I think Virginia might have some youth games in August because uh, I think I'm on a list to get some of those. They're tentatively scheduled, I believe. High school soccer's out in Maryland, I'm fairly certain for the fall, so... We'll see. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because um, I'm in Pennsylvania and PIAA just came out yesterday or today and said they're definitely going ahead with season. So it's an interesting mm-hmm. contrast. Did that's the high school? That's the high school for uh, okay. Pennsylvania, yeah, for the public yeah. schools, yeah. That's uh, all I have. Matt, I appreciate you taking your time out um, to talk all things Bro. physical therapy, all things soccer as well. Thank you. Thank you.